This is a 3CR podcast. And this is Published or Not. Okay, 25 years of Published or Not. Yes. It's a lot of authors that have come through this door. Absolutely. And let's meet another one. So let's meet another one. So today I have with me Maya Volnick. And she is an art director, a brand strategist, a book designer, and the author of the book, The 20 Minute Author. Welcome, Maya. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. Uh, so this, this book is fantastic. It's, um, it's called The 20 Minute Author. And tell me a little bit about the premise behind the book. Obviously, I have a graphic design agency where, you know, I help other people um, design books. And I guess I wanted to find out for myself how hard is it to write a book and just find a better way to help authors get their books out there. So I just went about how I would kind of look into doing it Mm -hmm. and this is what the book has become. So it's kind of a better way of um, getting your ideas organised and just going through all the elements of becoming a self-published author. Okay, awesome. This is very handy. So with the 20-minute aspect, I think it's 20 minutes a day. Is that is that what you're suggesting for people? Yeah, that's right. So that aspect of it is a little bit about creating a habit in working on your book every day. Mm-hmm. Um, as a lot of my clients are sort of, you know, entrepreneurs or business owners um, or, you know, just everyday people that want to write a book, we're all really busy. So we don't really have time to you know, sit down and write a book and, you know, go away and, and, you know, we don't get given an advance to spend hours writing our books. So I wanted to weave it into your day and spend 20 minutes a day working on your book and making it a habit. But there's also an element of using um, technology to speed up that process. And that's in chapter one. Okay. (laughs) So tell me about the technology, which is really interesting that you use to kind of speed up that process, as you say. So I talk about using voice to text. So basically you are um, tra- like recording your voice, you're speaking your book into existence mm-hmm. um, and then you use that to transcribe what you've said and then you can go off and edit what you've said. And the reason that becomes um, faster is because we actually speak faster than we type. So it's a way of you know speeding up that process and also when you're speaking, your voice is a lot more natural, so your book comes across in your true voice a little bit more than, you know, the way that we've been sort of taught to write. Okay, yeah. So it might sort of circumvent that sort of professional writing sort of and it might be a little bit more colloquial, so especially good when you're writing dialogue, I guess. Yeah, that's right. And and it's just a, a bit more natural and, and it's a faster way of just getting it out there. I find that a lot of people get stuck with what do I write, how do I write it, you know, where do I start? They're sort of staring at a blank page. So if you just sort of have a few topics that you know you want to talk about and you start recording them, you can then transcribe that and start working out, you know, how your structure will be of your book. Okay. So is this for non-fiction and fiction? Uh, Yes, I think so. Um, A lot of my clients are more into non-fiction books, um, but I have had clients that have written like romance novels and more fiction and children's books that kind of thing okay and so tell me a little bit about 
what you do um, to facilitate people? Because you're a designer as well, aren't you? Yeah, so my agency is called Maya Creative and Mm -hmm. we help authors self-publish their books and we're more from the kind of creative graphic design element. So designing your front cover and then looking at, you know, the layout and the interior of your book. And a lot of the clients that come to us really want something a bit more creative. So creating more of a reading experience as you're reading the book. And if you have a look at mine, you know, there's kind of quite a lot of elements in there. There's images Um, There's workbook sections. So really adding that creative vibe to your book. Hmm, Okay. And so how many self-published books have you self-published? With other authors. Oh, with other authors and your own. So this is my first self-published book. Okay. Um, I launched this in uh, 2021 and it was in the middle of the pandemic. So it wasn't a huge launch. Um, and here I am, you know, kind of wanted to go back, edit the content a little bit, flesh it out and relaunch it again this year. And we've worked with, I think, over 27 authors now. Awesome. Yes. So what, what are some of the benefits of choosing the self-published route as opposed to the conventional route? Well, I think the self-publishing industry is really growing. It's, I will say this, it's, it's not easy, but it's easier than you think to self-publish and I guess the benefit of self-publishing is that you regain all the control, you get more profits from the book, you know it's really your baby and you get to make all the decisions on your own Mm -hmm. and I believe the process can be a lot faster. And you might help with marketing and that sort of thing as well or give suggestions for marketing? So a little bit. There is a section in the book where we talk about um, flipping the publishing process on its head and you know, creating your book cover and creating some social media assets while you're still working on your book so that you're kind of, your head's in it, you're already writing it, you can start promoting your book um, you know, even before you've finished it, you can do a Kickstarter campaign. There's like lots of ways that you can start promoting your book. And we are more focused on, I guess, the interior and, you know, making your book look amazing. But we do work with other like PR agencies and marketing people to help you then market the book. Mm-hmm. You talk about finding the perfect title or so so tell me a, a couple of tricks that people might be able to draw upon when they are searching for a bestseller title for example do you have any <laughs> any any helping hands for us um look I think one of the things is keeping it really short and sharp mm-hmm. and really concise also you're going to be repeating your book title very often mm-hmm. when you're promoting it when you're speaking it so you want to make sure that you're not having something that's really long and hard to explain and a bit of a tongue twister. Yeah. And obviously you want to make sure that your title captures kind of the essence of your book and that your subtitle, you know, elaborates a little bit more on that. So as soon as someone sees your book, they're intrigued and but they kind of get what it's about, that they don't have to, you know, read it straight away like it, it entices them. Mm, yeah. Okay, yeah. That sounds logical and clever, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. So tell me about your background. I know you studied at RMIT, professional writing and editing. Is that right? No, I went to RMIT and I studied creative advertising. So awesome. Okay. My background is in graphic design, brand strategy, branding, that kind of thing. Okay. But copywriting was part of that. And I guess that has grown since, yeah, since I've been in this industry. Mm. Would you mind reading just a small section of, of your book, please, for us? Sure. Today, Maya. 
Okay, so I do talk about mindset a lot in, in my book. Yeah. And I wanted to read a little bit from that section. Mind your mindset. My message to you, my dear soon-to-be author, is that the world needs your book. Your book doesn't have to be perfect. None of us were born with the skills to become a best-selling author or know how to write properly. Every best-selling author in the world had the experience of being a first-time author. They have all been where you are now. My advice to you is to keep going with your book and don't let these fears stop you. You have knowledge, expertise and a story to tell. When your book is published, it will make an impact on the world in ways that you can't predict. Thank you. Perfectly put. So a question for you. Did you write this book in 20 minutes per day? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I followed this process and everything that's like in the book is exactly how I experienced it. So it's kind of like a recording so of, you know, true recording of my experience of okay. how I write the book tried and tested method in that case yes that's right so do we need to do a writing course in order to be writers I'm not sure I yeah. think you know a lot of people come to me that you know are not traditional experts in writing but they have a story to tell whether it's a memoir or they have you know they've been in business for a while and they have some sort of knowledge and expertise that they want to share mm -hmm. so you know my advice is to just get those thoughts out and then hire a really good editor. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic advice. You talk a little bit about the affirmations in uh, towards the front of the book. Are you an affirmations person? Do you use this in your in your daily writing as well? And, and explain to me what affirmations are. So affirmations is kind of like a, a bit of a mantra, like something that you say to yourself repeatedly mm -hmm. to try and change your core belief about something. We all have this internal voice in our heads. And I guess that was something that really came up that I found when writing a book is that, you know, we don't necessarily straight away identify as authors. And so to have that mindset shift, like you really, you know, you could be just an everyday person that wants to write, you know, a memoir about their family history, but you do have to be you know, an author at some point and get your head around that idea. So I found that affirmations kind of helped me get through that, um, whether that's, you know, affirmations about keeping going with the book or, you know, that I will be a published author. Yeah, I think that's great. I think you're really addressing the psychological issues that we all have when we come to write our own work as authors. So I, I really appreciated that part of the book. So I'd like to thank you for being my guest today, Maya. The book is called The 20 Minute Author. It's self-published, of course, and it's about how to succeed in self-publishing and give away some secrets for self-publishing as well. Thanks, you. Right. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Well, that's interesting about titles. Whenever you're ready. Ready for what? To go on stage, to commit to a new relationship, to get back into a workforce or to die? Whenever you're ready, could be about the choices you take, but it's also the title of Trish Bolton's book. Welcome, Trish. Thank you for having me, Jan. Lovely to be here. Well, look, it was great to read your book. Now, we're going to start with Alice. Behind her back, her friends think her, of her as too bohemian and creative to manage more mundane aspects of life. Why are Alice's breasts causing her a problem? Well, um, Alice's breasts are very important to her because she has a background in modelling 
and uh, she's also worked as a weather girl. She's worked in television. And so her appearance, her youth and beauty have always been important to her. And very unfortunately for Alice, she was diagnosed with breast cancer uh, in her early 30s and she chose to have breast implants after that surgery. And so we meet Alice uh, in, the, in Whenever You're Ready uh, when she's in her mid-70s and every 10 years or so she has to make the decision to have her implants replaced. And now she's discovering that implants have a very, very tiny chance of causing uh, cancer, breast cancer again. And so she has to make that decision. And this is very troublesome for her, particularly when she encounters doctors who wonder why on earth you'd want to have your or your breast implants replaced when you're in your mid-70s. What on earth would a woman of that age want to do that for? Oh, yes. You know, what, what use are your breasts? Now, she's got a friend, Lizzie. But how did her life change after her son, Tom, died? It was a catastrophe, a, a terrible event, obviously, losing a child. Can you imagine anything mm. worse? And there was a great deal of guilt associated with his death too because he wasn't well when she was leaving for her uh, media or her uh, political advisor position in Canberra. She was leaving him for a number of days. There was an election on. He wasn't really very well and yet she still went to work because she really had to, I suppose. And unfortunately her little boy passed away the day after. So she's very filled with guilt and regret and sorrow. She's also married to a politician who is very unsupportive and who really blames her for his death. And so she's seen to be not not to be not, you know, uh, the perfect mother that she might have hoped she'd be and that women do hope that they would be. She actually had a different home life. You know, she she went to work. She um, chose not, not to wear a wedding ring when she married Ed. She um, also didn't change her name. So not she didn't conform. And then in complete opposite, her daughter Margot, who has you know two kids, so Lizzie's got two grandkids, Margot's life seems like the perfect housewife. And I think that's what Margot thinks that she wants. She wants to be the perfect housewife. She wants to be the perfect mother. Her mother was not either of those things. That's what she's desperate to do. And she does have yeah, a great deal of privilege. Her husband earns you know, a very, a very good income. She has a beautiful home. She doesn't have to work. And yet she's not really as happy as she thought she might be. No, her sort of biggest way of happiness is finding that she's got more Instagram followers. Yes. (laughs) Yes, she seeks uh, her company through Instagram. She has one or two close friends, but she is quite isolated. And so she goes onto Instagram also to see how she can present herself to the world in a very particular way. And uh, again, that sort of the perfectionism that is sort of so much dominates her. Character. When Lizzie's son Tom died, Lizzie just couldn't cope with the whole thing. And it was actually Lizzie's friend Claire who really supported and, and Margot actually went to live with Lizzie at once, uh, with Claire at one stage. So it's Claire, all beauty and grace. So where did Claire and Lizzie meet? Uh, Claire and Lizzie met at boarding school. Uh, Lizzie won a scholarship to boarding school and didn't meet Claire until a 
I think about six months later when Claire came back from an overseas trip with her parents. They both came from very, very different backgrounds. Uh, the boarding school was not something Lizzie's parents could ever have afforded if she hadn't won a scholarship. And Claire reached out to her in Lizzie's, I suppose, moment of need. She was lonely. She missed her home. She didn't really feel that she fitted in at boarding school. And Claire reached out to her and offered her friendship and the friendship was sealed forever after. A quote, Lizzie, earnest and naive. Claire, worldly and carefree. And then Alice. Where did they meet Alice? They met Alice at university. Alice was had hopes. She was doing an arts degree and she had hopes to be a journalist. In those days, you had to. You just did a cadetship to be a journalist, not just, but that's what you did. But Alice's mother insisted that education never went to waste and Alice won a scholarship to uh, a major university in Melbourne and that's where she met Claire and Lizzie. Now you mentioned Alice's age, 74. The other women? Uh, They are all in their mid-70s, yes. The story starts with Claire and her husband Jeremy. Look, they're wealthy, they're happy, and they're going to bed. And, quote, their bodies and lives entwined, but not for sex. What was Claire planning? Claire had been diagnosed with ovarian cancer and her husband, uh, Jeremy, was had Alzheimer's. And she was very concerned about who would care for him when she passed away and she was quite sure that she would pass away before him and didn't want to take that risk. So she made the decision to end their lives. She didn't want to involve her daughter, she didn't involve anyone because at at that time uh, euthanasia was illegal Uh, and even now you can only make that choice for yourself, you can't make it for someone else. And so she she set about planning for that. All right, that's page three. Page 64 This is where I'd like uh, Trish Bolton to read from her book, and this is about her daughter, Jane. Opinion pages and blogs filled with commentary. People who had never met Claire passing judgment. Social media had been full of the murder-suicide. Claire's and Jeremy's deaths trending on Twitter. It had been hard on Jane, the press stalking her for days. But Jane, who was a producer at an independent radio station, understood how the media worked. In an interview with a journalist she knew and trusted, she said her mother would take great comfort knowing she had encouraged discussions about death and dying and the right of people to bypass doctors and hospitals and drawn-out treatments. Jane wanted it known that her parents had talked about the manner and timing of their passing long before her her father became ill. They had both agreed they did not want to languish in their old age or end their days in a nursing home. Her mother, Jane said, had realised that that time had come. So it was an understanding cell of Jane's. But Claire, when we know, went to her death with a secret. And we're just wondering about if that secret will ever came out and her daughter was aware of it. Now, oh, golly, let's take a closer look at her friends and why she might have had secret. As you said, they met Alice at uni and she has, was very attractive. She, uh, But she, the work's drying up for her as a model now and she finds that mature models are 30 to 40. 60 plus models are, oh, what was that word? Antediluvian? <laughs> Prehistoric and antiquated. So she is having 
troubles meeting her bills. She's selling furniture. She's she's doing whatever she can. But she spends her last of her money on Emilio. Yes, she does. <laughs> um, she makes that choice because it's so important to her and I think it's so important to many older women to still feel attractive and sexually attractive and to feel that love and affection and attention that I think so many older women feel that they are missing out on that they're they feel they're invisible they're not seen they're not heard and so she spends this money on Emilio when she really cannot afford to do that because she's threatened with homelessness and she you know has those few hours with him in a day and it really for her it it keeps her sort of managing her life and it makes her feel it makes her feel needed and she feels beautiful again and because so much of her life has depended on her beauty that is just so important to her to feel that once more until she finds out that Emilio uses the same lines on every woman. Anyway, Alice thought this is years of grief for long lost Tom became a lifelong excuse for self-pity. But Lizzie's caring for her elderly mother who's got mental health problems and she continues to see her dead son around whenever she has problems herself. In fact, she probably sees her dead son more than she sees a living daughter. (laughs) Margot keeps her away. And her ex-husband, what's happening with Ed now? Ed has remarried a much, much younger woman. He has a new family and he is a politician and he's hoping to become Prime Minister, his lifelong goal. And that's all he cares about. It's probably all he has ever cared about. Um, Lizzie and Ed do see each other when they have to. I think Lizzie still has just a tiny attraction for a few moments when she sees him again. But uh, he's completely self-obsessed and he still blames Lizzie for the loss of their son. And there's journalists looking around in Ed's past, looking for the affairs. And one of the affairs comes up... And even Margot, the daughter, knows that the mother, her mother, is going to be mauled. She's going to be blamed. And her father, who is now with his second wife, who's pregnant and beautiful children in hand, and he'll look like the loving father, you know, the adoring, faithful husband with his beautiful family. And he will show that he's quite contrite and he will be redeemed. Not too happy about that. (laughs) But then we get into Marco's backstory and she's hiding a past. So let's hear about Marco, who's now around mid-40s. Yes, Margo does have um, a past. I'm not sure how much to reveal about that without... Wow, let's hear from page 86 because you're right a a little bit here that makes us think, hmm. She noticed a man seated near the sundial, an arrogance about him making her hurry by. He was staring, his eyes narrow, their glint predatory and knowing. Did she know him? She didn't think so. But it was hard to remember, harder as years went by. Did he know her? It had happened before. Someone recognising her, usually they turned away as quickly as she did, neither wanting to identify or be identified. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Yes, and of course, here she is on Instagram and she's showing everybody. And But there's a few problems. Her best mate, friend on Instagram, always shows her husband. 
And what does Margot's husband say about it? No, Margot's husband says that there are enough narcissists in the world and that he won't um, participate. And she would love to have that uh, loving hubby to show off uh, to her Instagram friends who number very few. And, and even her daughter. And even her daughter, yes. So she does, you know, she takes many photos of her children. Everything she does is, is uh, motivated by what she might photograph on, you know, when she goes for a walk. Claire may have left a note to her daughter Jane who knew and to Lizzie for forgiveness. For what? Read the book. <laughs> okay, Trish Bolden, I've got to ask you, why did you write about such old women? Ah, because women are really missing on the page. Older women, the real lives of older women, the realities of older women's lives, I think, are missing on, missing on the page. They're missing really in our, in our culture. And I wanted women to be seen. I wanted them to be heard. I wanted them to be made visible. And I wanted them to be front and centre of a story. And I wanted them to be, I wanted them to have starring roles. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. You know, it wasn't in the story, but in your acknowledgements, this is a quote. They are who they have always been, only older, brimming with energy and optimism, laughing and raging, loving and overcoming. They have lived long lives and they have seen much and they have stories to tell. Well, I've got to say, I'm one of them and I have. <laughs> so I love this story. I like, liked what happened to Lizzie in the end too. Okay. Old friends and new beginnings are at the heart of whenever you're ready. Trish Bolton has three women look at their past and the possibility of an altered future after the unexpected death of a close friend. Oh, Trish, it was a lot of fun. I'm in that age group, which you say, another quote, and I love this one, the beating social and cultural heart of our communities. I oh, love that. I might get that tattooed. <laughs> <laughs> so here we have... Um, did it take you more than 20 minutes to write that, Trish? <laughs> um, it took me quite a few years. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, both of our guests today, and best of luck with your, your books and books to come. Okay, I was speaking with Trish Bolton about her book, Whenever You're Ready, published by Unwin. And I was speaking with Maya Vol Volnick, who has written The 20-Minute Author. Now, how can you get hold of your book? Uh, you can purchase it on Amazon, or you can go to my website, mayacreative.com backslash book and you can get a signed copy. Perfect. Thank you so much. You've just been listening to Published or Not on 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.